You're listening to the EFC Podcast. Gary Nelson is entering his final and 10th year as president of Tyndale University College and Seminary in Toronto. He spoke with us about what it takes to be a leader in today's changing culture, how theological education is changing, and why change in itself is just the big thing to grapple with these days. Enjoy. Uh, So, Gary, thank you for talking with us today. It's good to be here. You have just announced uh, or recently announced that you're going to wrap up your two terms as president of Tyndale University College and Seminary in Toronto. And I'm wondering how difficult a decision that was to make. Um, Actually, not difficult at all. I mean, it it was difficult in the sense of... uh... I'm going to miss the students and and all of those things. I've always seen uh, God's will as being a park to be explored. This is how I explained it to the students, that God's will is a park to be explored and and there are boundaries and all of those things. And the best paths for you to walk are the ones in which there's convergence. And coming to Tyndale was a a convergence of a number of themes for me. But... um, in, the, in this next cycle for me, uh, one of the big themes for us is family and we want to be near our grandkids and we're Western Canadians and this is a time in our life where it just makes sense for us to, our, our grandkids, one of them is 13 and he traveled with us to Africa and it just made us realize we need to be around them more because we, it just, it's just a, a point of convergence for us at mm. this point. So. Difficult to leave, but not as difficult as it would have been if there hadn't been that major theme in our life. Okay, I did not in any way think that I was going to be asking you about the nature of God's will, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, you just gave that lovely uh, metaphor of it being like a park, and I would love for you to unpack that a bit because what I'm sensing you mean is that there are some options, and Absolutely. it's not necessarily one path. I think that's really helpful. Can you explain that more? Well, I've always said it's not a tightrope to be walked, but it's a park to be explored, and. And so obviously there's boundaries to the park and, and what God does in your life as you grow in Christ and as you grow in your faith is you become more and more aware of the themes that are, are the things that God has been shaping in you. So it becomes clearer which paths in that park are the best paths for you to, to travel. And there was a particular, when, when Tyndale first approached me, was one of my colleagues Uh, in the organization I was working in at that time, a guy named Terry Smith, we were driving home, we carpooled in together and we were driving home and he said, you know, if you don't at least talk to Tyndale, then you're going to have to shut up. And and I kind of looked at him and I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, this is one of those themes that you always talk Mm -hmm. about. And uh, you've always believed that theological education and Christian higher education uh, could be done in different ways, and it, you've always believed that that there's something that can be different, and now you're being given an opportunity, and you're not even listening at that point. And then I realized that there were four themes for me, global, theological. I'd been teaching in, in some seminary. Wherever I pastored, I was teaching in a seminary. There, there was this sense of my deep commitment to the Canadian church and, and the mission of the church, uh, especially from a, a, you know, now we call it a missional perspective, but I mean, I've always been kind of geared toward that. 
And I, and I think this idea of, of the empowerment of people to be a, the people of faith in the places that they work their lives. And so that's why I came here. And I think the difference in this one now is those themes are still there. But I think this, uh, our daughter always says that when you, uh, when she got married, she was the only one that she knows that got married and then the parents moved away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is unusual. (laughs) So we've been here for 20 years and uh, we're ready to go home. So when you're speaking to students, I would love to just reflect a bit on the student body at Tyndale that you are seeing, especially those entering into ministry. I'm wondering uh, what kind of insight or advice you're giving them now about the changing culture that they will be ministering in, which is different from where you started, but it's it's where you're kind of ending, if I can use that word. Well, I don't think I'm ending. No, I know. I know. I As soon as it came out of my mouth, I thought, oh, he's not yeah. ending. No, it's changing. Changing. Uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, this is an interesting place because we have both undergraduates, you know, and they're, eight, they're 18. And some of them, you know, are going to be um, in psychology and philosophy. And then you have the seminary, which is strongly geared toward um kind of more adult, more grown up adult uh, Christian formation, only about maybe even less than the 60% of the student body is thinking about going into pastoral ministry. They're, they're looking at all sorts of different ways, what I would call the whole people of God. Like some of them are coming from the business world, some of them are coming they're not necessarily thinking, gee, I'm going to go into a traditional ministry. And, and so one of the things that's obvious is there is no such thing as a traditional ministry anymore. I think some of these students are going to be bivocational. Uh, some of them will go back into the workplace and, they'll, and, and they will have, uh, we would hope, a deeper sense of call uh, to that. And I think that's one of the exciting things that you see in a student body, at least at the, what we see in our student body here at Tyndale, and and that is there is one business guy that I know that's studying here. He took a year off. He's a headhunter for a major um, company here in the in the city. He took a year off, and I said, "Well, why?" We went out for lunch, and I said, "Why did why did you come to seminary?" And he said, "Sunday school is not enough." Hmm. And he said, I've, I've got to figure out what does it mean to be a person of faith in the world in which uh, God has placed me. And so I would say one of the major changes in theological education is, is probably you're building, you're giving them a foundation, but you better be teaching them how to do theology because that's what they're going to do the rest of their lives in whatever place they are. Likewise, for pastors... Um, it's just, it's not as simple as it used to be. And so if you can't do theology, if you can't think biblically and, re- and, and you can't, you can't think about what the themes are that, that, uh, that are critical, then it's going to be very hard for you to navigate and negotiate, um, the world in which you're living. In the old days, I think when you talked about liberating the laity, for instance, you were often talking about them doing things in the church. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? for sure. Like, let them preach, let them do this. But now you're talking about uh, how do I make sure in pastoral ministry that I 
that I understand that if, like I'm a lay person now, right? I go to church and I may have been out five, I might have been out of town until Friday and I come and I come to town and, uh, and all of us, I come back and all of a sudden I'm going to church on Sunday morning. I need to know that my pastor understands that my coming to church on a Sunday morning is, is a major commitment for me. Because there, you could be at home resting up from your busy week, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and that I've been in ministry right. where I was. And I think that's the challenge. That dichotomy uh, is, is no longer feasible. I think you could still live it, and, but now it just, it's just no longer feasible. So is this a, something or an area where the seminary and the church can cooperate better than I'm thinking, because I'm thinking you are, you are training and equipping people who it seems to me would be very good church members, um, but you're providing something maybe that the church is not. Is that right? I wouldn't say that generally, I mean, I think there's lots of churches that are, um, okay. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a church person, like I, I don't think, but I think the binary understanding that when someone comes to seminary and, and you kind of pour it all into them and then they go out into the church and all of a sudden they're equipped to lead a church or they're, they're equipped to, uh, to preach the word or whatever. I mean, I think that binary thing uh, just no longer fits anymore because the binary of that is the church and people saying, well, the seminary is not training us. Right, <laughs> you know? right. And, and so, I mean, I think what we need to do is, is develop a deeper sense of partnership together uh, in the task. Like, this isn't an either or, it's not a both, you know, it's, it really is an integrated understanding that this is all together. It's, I mean, this is, this is an integrated whole, and the seminary is only a part of it. And seminaries need to realize, I believe, that um, it isn't just about the information that they pour in. I mean, it, it is, I, I mean, curriculum development, all of those kinds of things. Um, how do you train a person for the world in which the world that exists, not the world that used to exist. And how do you equip them for a church that no longer, I mean, a church that exists now as opposed to a church that existed in Christendom? Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. No. <laughs> uh, well, I, I actually, without sounding like the president of a seminary, which I mean, is what you are, though. So we want you to do yeah. that. Yeah. Well, but but I, I I mean I think Tyndale has, I mean it started thirty years ago when Ian Rennie came here and he wanted he wanted to take the church seriously and he didn't feel like seminaries were taking mm -hmm. the church seriously and so when he came to be the dean here, he looked around and he said the future of the church in Canada is the diaspora, like. And, right. and so he began to build partnerships. And, and so, I mean, to this day, those were building on the shoulders of, of some of the things that, that he saw. He realized that theologi theological education, while it needs to play to the academy, it, doesn't, it shouldn't be shaped by the academy. And so its rhythms and all the things that it does, it needed flexibility. So he started Monday 
classes. Well, you know, now you can come to Tyndale and you can be in a virtual classroom. You can be on an online class. Uh, you, you, can, uh, you can come on Saturdays. You can come on Friday night, Saturdays. You can come for a week. You can come for a, a full semester. Like it's all about flexibility and offering um, theological education within the rhythms of the people that, that you're trying to form. And I think that's one of the major changes. The academy shaped the rhythms of most seminaries. And so they're not, they, they don't make themselves available to the, to the people who are most desirous of it. Does that, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking when I was in university, uh, I had a friend who went to seminary. And to me, back then, seminary was this, you know, remote, like high level, right. isolated, you know, place that I could never have broken into. That's right. what I thought. I used to go to the sit in the library at the Atlantic School of Theology sometimes and just breathe in the <laughs> air. <laughs> but never would it have occurred to me that I could have taken a class. And probably I could not have. But yeah, that is definitely well, changed. And, and you think, I mean, we have a Tuesday night modular class that meets at six o'clock and goes to 10. It's cohort based. And it's, you could be a TTC bus driver sitting next to the vice president of the Royal Bank. Um, I was teaching one of those courses and, and uh, there was a CBC reporter from Windsor and she was driving in every Tuesday afternoon from Windsor to attend this class because she loved the cohort-based framework. And then she'd get back in the car and drive home and be on the morning news. Wow. And she did that for three years. I mean, so that's an incredible commitment mm -hmm. when you think about it. But it but it fit her rhythm better. And now you see the same thing. I was speaking in New Brunswick and a person came up to me and he said, I've always wanted to meet the president of our seminary. And I said, excuse me, I don't think we've ever met before. He says, well, I've never been on campus. <laughs> but he's halfway through his MTS you know, that he's been doing online. And I think even when it comes to the university, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, a Christ, what, what does a Christian university look like in a post-Christendom world? Well, it certainly probably doesn't look like it did in the past. Um, it has to, I mean, it isn't, it, it can't be a bubble. And all the studies are showing that at this critical age, this generation needs a foundation. We need to be able to teach students and form students in such a way that when they graduate with their first degree, say if, if it's in psychology, they need to know what are the key questions from, for faith. You know, if they go on to graduate school, they need to be equipped to be able to be in the conversations, not ignore, not, not avoid them, and I think mm -hmm. that's the, the difference, it seems to me, in either theological education or Christian higher education, is you're, you're really training toward a much deeper integration and a much deeper engagement than, than you might have had to in Christendom. Yeah. So when I hear you say that, I think that for a seminary um, or a theological college that, that is nimble and understanding what you've just talked about, that there is great hope. But often the sense is that theological education in North America is, you know, really on the edge of 
falling apart in a, in a big way that seminaries are struggling, you know, funding is scarce. And so can you speak to that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny you ask this because, because we've just gone through our ATS review and, uh, and it's, it was really a great time. And, and, and anything that the seminary is today is rooted in the, in the leadership of Janet Clark, who's the Dean and 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 they just the ATS review was I mean it was a highlight for us this fall. Uh, one of the reviewers, uh, a Latin American theologian, uh, a woman from uh, Florida, she said to me, "I always believed there could be a seminary like this, but I've never seen one until I came here." Wow. Yeah, that's what I said. I went, "Oh, yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's really nice." Well, about a week later. I got a, you know, what are the biggest challenges thing from uh, from the accrediting board just, you know, that you're facing and they talked about decline. Well, Tyndale's had eight years of growth, but I said, all of these are our challenges, you know, finances, all of these things. But I think the biggest challenge is that I'm not sure people realize how radically, how vulnerable we really are and and how quickly we're going to have to respond to the the changes that are happening around us like what happens if we we lose the ability to get osap grants for our students how do we survive those kind of things and you use the word nimble i mean the the fact is academic institutions are infamous for not being nimble right and and not being able to to change and yet we're in a time where you are changes happen all the time and and you have to figure out how to respond and that's probably the biggest challenge in leadership today like if one if you don't like conflict you don't want to go into leadership in this day and age you know or and you certainly don't want to go into pastoral leadership because because creativity is about handling conflict uh and and imagination and imagining that things can be different uh, has a deep impact in, in, in terms of what gets created around you. And there's no way you're going to create change without having conflict. Um, you know, so you're going to have to be grounded. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to have to have a, I mean, I think Paul understood when he keeps saying, you know, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. I mean, I, I think that, that idea of of groundedness in the midst of conflict is is absolutely critical I, if if like someone said to me um on the search committee when i came here they said uh oh, this this could be a big legacy for you and i said well i'm not looking for a legacy <laughs> like, like i said uh matter of fact that's the furthest thing from my my mind. I said, God loves me, my mother and father love me, and Carlos loves me, and that's about all I need, thanks. Um, and I think that kind of groundedness enables you not to get buried uh, in the midst of the things and, and get so paralyzed when change needs to happen. See, that's really interesting because, yeah, that idea, if you had uh, become enamored of that idea of that this is you building a legacy. I would think that would um, paralyze any leader and, you know, potentially make for some 
bad decisions. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and but yet, I mean, unfortunately, pastor leadership. When what happens in a post Christendom world in churches? When you know, I mean, there was a time when the pastor was somebody in the community. Mm-hmm. There was a time when the pastor was one of the more learned people in the in the church community. Uh, but they had significance outside the walls of the church. Well, in a post-Christendom world, you have a pastor now who who really has no very I often will say you're absolutely insignificant uh, in your community. They don't know what you do. So you try to say, well, I do some counseling and that makes, oh, okay, well, I get that part of it. But what happens, you know, in in a in in a situation where you have no significance outside of the church, and so you have everything riding, you know, personally on what's going inside of the church, and yet all of the missional urges is to get people outside the walls of the church. Yeah. So you better yeah. darn well be like you better be grounded enough to allow that to happen so that you know if they don't show up on a sunday morning they may be doing something really important mm-hmm. and not take it personal and i think that's the challenge i mean i think what's different right now in theological education for instance is is how much emphasis we put on spiritual formation here at tyndale like somehow the rooting of the soul the, the grounding of the soul is so critical to the formational process not just the cognitive process I know a lot of seminaries struggle with the, or maybe not struggle, but try to solve the riddle of spiritual formation when part of the education is happening online. Hmm. Um, How have you solved that? By doing it well. Like, it's funny, you know, those are the first questions we get asked. And I was just talking to a, a, a business guy here uh, in the city who was taking his first online course. And he said to me, I would have argued that you could not build community online. And he said, uh, I've now discovered that you can. The conversations are deeper. Uh, if If it's shaped the right way, you have conversations that you may never have had in a classroom. And so, I mean, I think, I think this next generation too is, I mean, this is their community. These are their friends. And so they've learned how to use the tools. It's usually the faculty who think you can't do that. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, uh, Janet would say that every time one of our faculty teach an online course, they become they become converted because they fi- they find out that you can do that. But but a number of years ago, long before I arrived here, they had hired a PhD in on distributed learning to help design the curriculum. And I think it's made a big difference in the kind of online stuff that that we're producing. But you can build community. And we're actually discovering there is a, we ha, they, they ran a couple of, uh, what do you, you don't call them guinea pig courses, but anyway, guinea pig courses to try to figure out how to do spiritual, the spiritual, the intro to spiritual formation uh, course online. And, uh, you actually have groups that will, like cohort groups that will meet online on a regular basis and have conversations 
we had a recent online course that threw a baby shower oh <laughs> for someone online which i mean those are the kind of things you do in community right yeah and so they did it online oh that's neat yeah so this uh, that represents an obvious change that uh, you've been part of ushering in for sure. And as a leader who writes about leadership, uh, which you do, you talk a lot about change and how mm-hmm. to, you know, help birth change in organizations mm-hmm. or churches. So, uh, and I know one of the questions you urge people to ask, I think, is can we do this better? Is that, I guess I'm asking, is that a key, is that the key question? And what other questions help usher change into an organization? Oh, that's a good question, Karen. I'd have to think about that. You know, I think I quoted in a Faith Today article of our board chair who said that the pace of change is faster than the pace of learning. Um, and, and so I think one of the key questions that that leaders have to ask today is how willing are they to uh, how how able and willing are they to be wrong wow <laughs> you know there almost there almost needs to be a theology of failure like i tried it i i it um like how do i how do i help how do i help others realize it's it's worth taking a shot at but we could be wrong and if we're wrong, we're going to have to respond quickly. I think the other, I think the other question that I that I ask organizations when I meet with them is, is is this? I mean, if you have no urgency, I mean, if you're content with the way it is, um, then then ultimately you don't want anything to change. So why bother? You know, like, like if 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 the leader is going to have to spend ninety percent of their time trying to convince them that that uh, things need to change, things will never change. I mean, Cotter often says in his book on change, he says that the urgency to change is is probably one of the most critical factors um, within congregations and within organizations to their ability to change. And I think that's, that's true. I, I, I often wonder if part of the renewal questions that many congregations face is that, frankly, my mother would be like this. Um, my mother would say, you know, they can change, but I'd like them to stay the same until I die, and then they can do anything they want. <laughs> you know, well, she just died in yeah. in uh, in November, and we were laughing because I I said to the pastor of the church she was in, "Well, now you can do anything, and she doesn't care." <laughs> you know, but I mean, wow. I do think that that's, I think that's the biggest challenge. I mean, people in churches today are holding on to the old things rather than understanding why those things were shaped and what was the the intent behind them. This idea of a leader being willing to say, you know, the how 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 willing are you to be wrong, that question. And for a leader to say, you know, out loud, I may be wrong about this, but this is what I think. It feels different to me uh, from the idea of here's our vision and now I'm going to move our people to that vision. Is it different? Is that a change in leadership 
culture or is it just the same thing done in a more humble way, I guess? <laughs> I do think it's, it's a different position. And I'm not sure that I, I've learned in this context, that's not always the easiest position to, to, to present because um, academic institutions by their very nature think that the, the president, they, they want the president to be there. They want him to cast a vision, but they also want the freedom to be able to tell him that he's wrong. And, right. and, okay. and so in my, I think the biggest struggle for me in coming into an organization like this was that all of, a lot of the strengths that I, that my friends and my co former colleagues would have said that I had um, were not the strengths that were necessarily embraced in a context like this. I was, I always, I was supposed to be really good at bringing consensus, <laughs> you know, I was, and, and academic institutions by their very nature um, don't come to consensus. It's just, it's not in their, yeah. it's not in their DNA. And, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the way it is. Um, I was used, I used, I came in, I talked about radical transparency. And I, I've learned over the, the years that radical transparency also means radical vulnerability. Like if you say something and, and uh, it may come up to, to haunt you, <laughs> you know, uh, and things like that. So it's been, it's been a real learning curve for me in terms of how do I temper what, what I used to think was my strength, but in this context has to be shaped in, uh, in different ways. I think the other part of it for me in coming here was discovering that what I thought, um, what I thought I was supposed to do is not what I ended up doing. So it wasn't as, uh, it wasn't, you weren't able to predict what right. was going to happen. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's one of the biggest challenges for leadership. I think people sometimes think that leaders get what they want, but good leaders end up, I, I remember someone saying to me one time, oh, you got everything you wanted in, in this leaders. And I said, no, no, I didn't get anything. Let me tell you what this place, this is a church I was pastoring in at the time. This is what the church would like, would look like if I'd gotten everything I wanted. And I described it to them and they kind of went, oh. <laughs> and, and I think that's, that's the context of leadership. It's you come to do something, but then you realize God's leading you in a whole other thing and the context demands a, a, a different kind of, uh, you need to adjust uh, all of those kind of things. And the idea that somehow leaders cast a vision and then they just drive toward that, that might have worked in Christendom. But it doesn't work in the surprises of a post-Christendom, post-modern, you know, changing world. Yeah. I love that idea, as painful as it might mm -hmm. be when it's happening, that, you know, leaders, that part of leadership is not getting what you want. And because that implies mm -hmm. you're listening too intently to mm -hmm. God and to the community that is with you in this reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. Gary, as we, uh, as we end off, um, what is your, uh, and this is, you're going to get mad at me for this question, maybe it's an annoying question, but <laughs> so if you were encouraging a young leader in a church specifically, let's say, 
um, who was maybe discouraged or, or just realizing the enormity of the challenges in front of them, what is your uh, sort of heart advice or guidance for a leader like that? Is it, is it to focus on their devotional life or what's your best survival oh, tip? Okay. Um, make sure your life is more diversity than the thing that you're doing. You know, a long time ago, the course I had to take leaving seminary that everybody had to take in Fuller was called the Mental Health of the Emerging Minister. And Arch Hart was the was the prof. And Arch was a South African, and he said, uh, "Life is like a is like a diamond, and it's it, and if you only have one facet, then your life is riding on that one facet. And if that's not going well," then then all then everything's riding on that and therefore you're not doing well so he said make sure that you create a multifaceted life and i think that's um that's been a, a an incredibly important thing for me i have good friends i had i have other things that distract me uh, i have other things that i value uh, you know i i have someone who loves me and we we do things together and we're absolutely comfortable uh together i mean if you if you try to live a one-faceted life then everything that's going on in the church becomes uh it becomes a roller coaster ride so for your own health i mean don't go to a pastor's conference and when and when they ask you the question how, how are you doing don't answer with the number of people that are attending your church. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Gary, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.